0: Welcome to Keep Calm. We would love for you to join us on Fridays from 1030 to 1130 a.m. Central Time. For more information, check out our website at www.faithwalking.com where you can scroll down to the Spaces for Wholeness Groups section and click on Keep Calm. You can also email us at info at faithwalking.us.
1: We have been talking the last several weeks about Epiphany, the season of Epiphany. And for some traditions, the season of, of Epiphany goes from January 6th all the way through um, Ash Wednesday until Ash Wednesday. And for we non liturgical people, that's fascinating and interesting. And, and so, one more time. Uh, I want to come back to the idea of Epiphany and uh, the coming of the Magi pro, pro, uh, primarily to visit Jesus at his birth. <clears throat> Last week, Jan uh, shared some comments with, me, with us uh, from her own study, and she preached a message on, a, on Epiphany. And a couple of weeks ago, Judith uh, shared something with me and, and some of her reflections and, and talk related to Epiphany uh, that I found uh, really insightful and helpful. And I forgot last week to ask her uh, to talk about that. But today, I would like her to just share her thoughts as we, as we get started. Uh, in a similar way, Jan shared some thoughts last week. And Jan, feel free to add any thoughts this week. Uh, I mean, because we're, we, we've all been thinking about this and studying this. So Judith, a- after we welcome Dawn to the conversation. Hi Dawn, welcome in. Thank you. Glad to have you. Now, Judith, tell us, tell us what you got.
2: Okay, um, you might remember that when Ken was talking to us a couple of weeks ago, Um, about Epiphany, he was talking about the Magi coming, of course, to see Jesus. But Herod got in the way here um, and wanted to see, you know, what was this all about? And so he called for the Magi to come and they um, they did. And they said, we're coming to see this king that has has been um, predicted by the angels that has been proclaimed by the angels. And Herod got anxious and then did some horrendous stuff. Um, with the killing of the innocents, and um, I mean, he just his anxiety boiled over, and um, and he did a lot of evil. The same evening, um, I, I have dinner every Friday night with a group of friends, and it's, this has been going on for years. And um, one of my good friends is also from a liturgical church, and at dinner she was saying. Um, Oh, and this was an Epiphany dinner. She wanted to do a Three Kings dinner and we made it special and we had a um, Three Kings cake for dessert. But she was sitting there and and, and she had decorated the house and decorated the table. It was a beautiful festive festive meal. But she said how irritated she was, actually she used the word pissed, um, that the insurrectionists on January 6th, because January 6th is the Feast of the Epiphany, that they stole this beautiful celebration that we have of the magi coming to Jesus. And she was just so angry that that happened because now it's tainted her memory, her thoughts of epiphany. And after she was done, um, I said, well, I wonder if there's a different way of looking at it. And I thought of of what Ken had been saying because I think in some ways, the insurrectionists gave us back epiphany um, in the sense that we don't have Herod, we don't have the Magi coming, but we do have people that are anxious um, about what's going on in our world today, people that are anxious about what's going on, what was going on in our government, what is probably still going on to some degree, and they reacted out of their anxiety. And so, in a sense, we had another perfect model of epiphany on January 6th of last year. And so I, I said, you know, yes, um, we don't like to see this but it's a reminder that it's still there and God is still in control and we need to be aware of what anxiety can do. So I, I said it was a way that we, we actually got Epiphany back because they did it on the Feast of the Epiphany. So that, that's my little story.
1: Yeah, great story, Judith. And, uh, and really impactful. I, I thought some about the events of January 6th a year ago, but I, but I had not made that connection about how, oh yeah, that, that connects so completely with this idea of, uh, of what Epiphany is about and the anxiety that was in the system. Well, today, let's, let's launch off that. Today, I wanna go uh, and talk about two, a little bit different things all related to the the celebration of Epiphany and the coming of the Magi to welcome uh, in the birth of Jesus. And in doing that, the two ideas, so the first idea that that I want to highlight is that as the Magi came to Herod after they left, out of Herod's anxiety, one of the other things that he did is that he gathered the Jewish scribes and teachers and he consulted them about Jewish prophecy. And I find that to be really fascinating because as he, as he brought in the Jewish leaders, scribes, teachers of the law, and he consulted them on a, a, what we would call biblical prophecy, a, a phrase that gets thrown out a lot. Notice that the biblical prophecy made him more anxious, not less anxious. So, so more anxiety got stirred up in his prophecy search than, than resolved for him. And I wonder, even today, with people that continuously are studying and, 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 and are consumed many by the study of biblical prophecy, if, it, if it's helping them, or is it hurting them? Is it making them more uh, faithful and more faith-filled, or is it making them more anxious? Uh, so I, I grew up in the 70s, which has been a long time ago, but in the 70s, uh, some of you have been around long enough. In, in my heritage, the study of biblical prophecy was huge. Man, we brought in prophecy teachers, and 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 there were prophecy books, and man, everything was all about studying end times and what's going to happen and what to look for, and of course, in in my heritage, uh, I, I don't want to get into all the technical theological part of this, but. But from my heritage, we came at that from a very premillennial dispensational kind of approach, all right? And and I just want to say that that's one way of thinking about eschatology, which is the study of end times, but it's not the only way, okay? There there are multiple ways of, of studying prophecy, and there are multiple ways of interpreting the book of Revelation. Uh, and today, it's not my intent to go there, but as I look at my own journey around biblical prophecy, I also uh, I, I started asking myself these questions, and uh, and it was really uh, and I think it's really important, and I think these are three questions that folks ought to be asking today. And here's the first question: Does our study of prophecy? move us toward loving others what better? And if it doesn't, then it's distracting us. Does it move us to love others better, or does it move us to love others worse, or to hate others, or to be angry at others? And I think, and, I, and, I, and all I can speak of is for me, my in my own journey of, of study of biblical prophecy, it did not help me love other people better. It made me more judgmental, more critical, more condemning, uh, more angry instead of that. The second question then, and, and all of these are similar, but the, the second question is, does my study of prophecy make me more like Jesus or less like Jesus. And again, in my own study and in my own journey, if I'm really honest, my study of prophecy did not make me more like Jesus. It it made me more curious and interested in prophecy and trying to figure stuff out, but it did not make me more like Jesus. And the third question that that I think is important to ask is, does my study of biblical prophecy help me align my life more fully with the mission of God in the world, or does it distract me from the mission of God in the world? do I even believe God has a mission in the world as it is? And in my own study of biblical prophecy from that premillennial dispensational rapture of the church uh, theology, uh, it's it's a theology that that, uh, presents this idea that that this world's just going to get blown up and, and, and destroyed and and here's what I want to say, folks. I do not believe that anymore, and I do not believe that's the mission of God. I believe God's mission is is to, uh, is for the kingdom of God, uh, the the kingdom and God's will to come on earth just as it, as it is in heaven. Uh, I believe that there's coming a coming day of resurrection, but I but I also believe that. That in that coming, that we are to be joining with God, partnering with God on mission in the world to create wholeness and to see the kingdom come in small little taste on earth as it is in heaven. And so, if if I get enamored with and all consumed with a, a form of biblical prophecy that doesn't align with a mission, what I believe the mission of God is then then I think it's distracting I think it's anxiety producing and I think it doesn't help us to follow Christ better and and so let's come back to Epiphany and Herod he 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 gathered the the prophecy teachers and he said what does prophecy say and and they told him the truth they told him the facts And those facts made him more anxious. And then what he tried to do is he tried to uh, somehow dive in on what was going to happen and make it different. And it it wasn't healthy. Uh, If you want to throw, I'm going to throw a little biblical language out that I'm not going to to define today. We can define it at, at some other time. But it, but this is just what it makes me wonder. And, and hear me. Out. I want to say this with as much humility as I can. I, I could be wrong in all of this, okay? But but I think we need to come even to biblical prophecy with deep humility saying we don't understand the mysteries of God. and And, and here's the word I'm going to throw out. And I wonder sometime if If our infatuation with the study of prophecy isn't similar to what Paul described as Gnosticism in the Bible, which is a search for more knowledge, I need more, I need to know more, and and, and I'm I'm just infatuated with knowing more, rather than, if, if you remember what we talked about last week, rather than dwelling in Jesus more and aligning my life with Jesus more rather than this idea of biblical prophecy more. So I've got a whole nother half and a whole nother idea, but I think I'm going to pause there and see what does that stir up for you? Because I know it stirs
3: up something. Anybody want to speak to that?
0: I wrote in the chat. (laughs) Okay. That's all I got.
1: (laughs) All right. No problem. Thank you, Leslie. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so again, from my first formation group, uh, this was implicit, never explicit, but implicit in my first formation was it's more important to be right Than it is to be loving. And I just don't think that's the way of Jesus. I don't find, in fact, I don't find that anywhere in Jesus. I find Jesus constantly holding up a mirror for people, constantly defining himself and saying, This is me and my way, but always loving people. And and so I think we have to, I think that's an important thing for, for us to do. Uh, is to think about that and and just uh, yeah. So here's a question I ask. I'm going to ask it. I'm I'm not looking for an answer. It's really it's it's a really big, broad question that just challenges my thinking. But but I'm going to ask it to you because I ask it often. And for you listening on the podcast, I know good and well I'm going to make some folks anxious. Okay. So here's the question: Is God's grace big enough? to cover up bad belief is god's grace broader than bigger than bad belief so what i'm what i'm asking is if i don't quite believe everything correctly is god's grace big enough to forgive me for for my bad belief because again in my heritage the answer was no God's grace isn't big enough to cover up bad belief. God's grace is big enough to forgive you of your sin, but it, but you've got to believe right in order to gain God's forgiveness. And I'm not I'm not sure I believe that. Um, and I and I realize I'm opening a huge can of worms. Uh, I'm I'm opening a huge can of worms. Uh, in our in in module six in faith walking, we we talk about so in John chapter 20, when Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room, and on, on the day of the resurrection, uh, he, he, he pronounces shalom, and, he, and he, breathed, he breathes shalom in them, and then here's what the voice translation says, which I really like. It, it says that Jesus then gave them the mantle of forgiveness, and told them, whoever you forgive is forgiven, and whoever you don't forgive is not forgiven. Now, that's a really hard verse to, to, to interpret, but, but the, the end result for me is, as I look at the life of Jesus on numerous occasions, I find that Jesus was really liberal with forgiveness. He gave forgiveness to people that didn't ask for it. He gave to people that uh, forgiveness to people that didn't confess sin and repent. Jesus gave forgiveness to, them. and and so I wonder in this whole conversation, and I don't know how in the world I just got to where I've gotten, but but here we are. Uh, I wonder. Yeah, I asked the question: Is God's grace big enough to to to, to overcome bad belief? And is God's forgiveness uh, how broad is God's forgiveness, and how do we uh, how do we go and announce forgiveness rather than making people work for it? Uh, I better just stop there because I'm going to trail down even further. No, anything else getting stirred up?
4: Well, Ken, I think about Jesus' disciples. None of them had the right belief. I mean right. they didn't they didn't get it the entire time they were with him but, right. but he still you know loved them completely um, yeah they didn't they did not get it period mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so right. how much so how much am I not getting right
1: right well the uh, one of the things i like to say jan also is not is, is not only that those disciples who yeah. i'm not sure all of them ever completely got <laughs> whatever it is, <laughs> you know, and uh, and and then I go uh, I go to Paul, and and there are two things about the Apostle Paul that kept, grabbed my attention. He he had some kind of highly unusual encounter with God, where he talks about going to the third heaven. Well, I didn't even know there were three heavens. You know, I mean. But, but he got to go. And also, so that same guy that went to the third heaven writes, I think it's in Corinthians, and says, but, but I only see through a glass dimly. So here's a guy that went to the third heaven, and, and he's saying, it's still foggy for me. I still don't get it all. Well, how in the world do we think we get it perfectly clearly if Paul, the apostle who went to the third heaven, didn't get it completely clear. I, I just, I think what all that teaches us is to embrace the mystery of God that is, that is far beyond our capacity to get my capacity, to get my finite brain wrapped around who God is, what God's like, and, and yeah, and, and how broad God's forgiveness is.
0: I don't think our human minds are uh, supposed to be able to fully interpret the creator of the known universe. <laughs> I just, Bye. I don't think anybody's smart enough, but, and that's me, just a little bit of about me. I grew up in an evangelical cult. So, I mean, that was all over the place and so many prophecies falling flat. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, human interpretation tends to uh, have a lot of mistakes.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it does, Leslie. And and I think it's, it's why I'm, I'm a big proponent of, I, I think the only way God teaches us is through our humility to say, I don't have, now, now hear me folks, there's a lot of things that I believe and I believe them deeply and I believe them passionately. And, and I'm gonna tell you, I think I'm right but I also hold them very loosely and say, but I could be wrong. Because you know what? I thought I was right 40 years ago too. And I've really changed my mind from what I believed 40 years ago to what I believe today. And and guess what happens if God wants to change my mind again? Well, you know what? God's in that business. And that, and, and that is, and, and oh, by the way, you know, that's what the word repentance means, right? The word repentance means to change the way you think, and then reorder your life in a new way. So repentance means to change your mind. It means to change your mental model. It means to 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 think differently. That you're stuck in an old way, and you need to be reborn into a new way. And that and that repentance isn't just a thing we do at the moment of salvation, when and whatever that is, but that repentance is an ongoing thing that we do in our journey with God.
5: Ken, can I ask a question?
1: You certainly may so. Uh,
5: You know, everything you're saying resonates with me. Um, But I happen to have family members that are very much at the other end of the spectrum on this. Yes, sir. They talk a lot about the end times. They think that's very important. Um, and one of their rationales uh, for that is, is how much about end times is in scripture. How much Jesus talked about that. So I guess um, my, my question about that is, do you, do you have any thought on, in response to that, why, you know, what was the perp- what's the Lord's purpose in the information we do have about end times in scriptures <laughs> or am I getting us off track
1: yeah Saul I don't have a clue <laughs> I don't know uh, I uh, yeah I, I'm and, and I don't mean that in an ugly way. Um, here, here's what I believe, in, and here's what my experience has been. We, we open the Bible, and we read a section of Scripture out of Matthew. And, and five of us in the group hear something completely different out of that out of that text That That seems to happen over and over and over again. And so for us to narrow the box and say, well, there's but there's only one right interpretation of that text. Well, I would say there's there's one right way to translate the words, well, there's really not because, because even, even the, the, the translators of scripture have to have some interpretation as they translate. Do all of you recognize that? That, that we, we come to a word and, and okay, am I going to translate the word this way? Or am I going to translate the word this way? Because the word means both things. Well, I think I'm going to translate it this way. Great. Except well, what about the other one? What if it meant the other, you know, what if, and so I, I, you know, now we're getting into all kind of Bible interpretation, uh, you know, translation stuff, so, but, but mainly, so what I take away from that is, I'm not sure that the scripture was intended to be uh, a constitution that th- that everybody's going to interpret the exact same way, get the exact same thing out of it every time they read it, and and there's one exact way to to interpret. So I'm 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 attempting to answer your question by saying, well, and let me back up. Let me say also, I think we we interpret scripture through the lens of of the mental models that we come to scripture with. And mental models are our beliefs and assumptions about how the world works. So if I come to scripture looking for prophecy, I, I find it. If I come to scripture not looking for prophecy, then I find something else. So, so I think some of that is because of, of the mental model. I think some of it is God speaks to different ones of us at different times in, in, in multiple ways. When you started asking the question, so I want to say, I want to say, I think, three things here. So I think an important practice for us group that's a, that's a part of, of faith walking is self-differentiation, which means this is, the, this is what I believe, this is what I think. I define myself, what I think and believe, but I can stay connected to people that think and believe something completely different than I do. I don't get mad at them. I don't get angry at them. I don't avoid them or distance from them. Uh, I don't fight them. Uh, And and for me, and and by the way, I want to confess and acknowledge, and I'm not nearly as differentiated as I want to be. I, I still have tons of work to do around that, but but for me, that's the goal. And and why is that the goal? Because I think Jesus was completely self-differentiated. I, I think Jesus clearly said, "This is who I am, and this is what I'm about," over and over and over again, while remaining connected to people that were out to kill him. So I think that's an important lesson. So differentiation. And, and then the, the other thing, uh, so for me is with people that are still there. So I have a brother-in-law. That's all he does. I, I didn't know it because I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be as vague as I can be because I, I don't want. Yeah, I'm not. But, but my brother-in-law, uh, the only television he watches are, are videos of prophecy stuff. That's all he watches. And he's consumed by it. And and when we went to visit, he he wanted to engage me in conversation around it. And and I said, you know what? I I, I appreciate that that you are uh, vigorous in your study of this and you're infatuated by it. I no longer believe what you believe about that though. I believe something different. And so we can talk, I can tell you about what I believe and why I've changed my thinking and why I believe something different about that. But if you want to just go and talk about all the all the, the verses and the process of, of, of what you're into, I, I'm not willing to have a conversation with you about that because I don't believe that anymore. And and he couldn't get his head around that. Well, how can you be a, a minister and a, and and not and not believe this? Well, I just that's not what I believe any longer. And so the the, the two words that, that I, I want to share, uh, so differentiation, our growth and differentiation, and then meeting people with humility and with love. So just like I asked the question. Does, it, does, does, it, does my study help me love? My study of prophecy help me love better? Then, then I need to ask myself, okay, and does my study help me love people better? Or am I just as ugly, just as offensive, just as angry as whoever they are? And because ultimately, what I believe about God is the scripture clearly says God is love. And when Jesus asked about, was asked about the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment is about love. And so, so I want to, even with people that I disagree with deeply and who get angry at me and who I, I, wanna, I, I still want to come with humility and I want to come with love. And, and so I ask the question constantly of myself, and what does love look like with this person? Uh, having said all that, I want to say, and part of differentiation is the capacity to establish clear boundaries and say, you know what? I'm not willing to get into an argument with you about this. I, I'm not willing uh, to, to see you all stirred up. I, I'm here for a visit and I want to enjoy your company. Uh, and so I'm not willing to talk about that. And that's okay. So recognize again, so we could say, well, distancing is a form of reactivity to anxiety. It is. But sometimes my best thinking tells me I need to create a boundary that may look like distancing, but that's very healthy in order for us to be able to stay in relationship that that works. Now, Man, that's a whole lot of talking to. I, I don't even know if you had a question, so, but th- those are my thoughts that came. Uh, anything you want to respond to based upon that? Did I get close to speaking to what you were talking about?
5: You know that, that's helpful. Thank you.
1: Yeah. It doesn't Good. exactly answer
5: my question, but like you said, you're not able to answer my question. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
3: I, but I, what you're saying is helpful. In my own heritage
1: group, uh, which was ultra-conservative, um, the, I, I, I jokingly say it this way, but it but really is true. Our fear of liberalism was almost greater than our fear of hell. That, oh my goodness, you know, and and so, so I was taught in my first formation to protect myself from the slippery slope. And, and, and the slippery slope, by the way, is anything that doesn't agree with what we already believe, right? <laughs> That's the slippery slope. And, uh, and, and we were so afraid of the slippery slope. I, so I'll just describe it this way. I've got a book on my bookshelf. It's way up on the top because I, I, I need to throw it away. But it's a book about books. And the book about books is a book that tells you what the appropriate books to, to study are and what the inappropriate books to study are. Yeah. So if you're buying, if you want to buy a biblical commentary, for example, it it gives you a list. Here's the biblical commentaries. And these these are the ones that are going to align with what we believe. And these are the ones that are going to take you somewhere else. And so, so we were so in the box and so afraid of liberalism. And anything out of our little box was liberalism. And so therefore, you didn't think outside the box. And, and, and so the greatest anxiety producer was if you got a hold of something that, that got you thinking outside of the box, you're, it's going to lead to liberalism and you're going to go down the slippery slope and boom, you're going to be gone. And, and I'm going to say it as bluntly as I can. And I believe that is a lie. I just believe it's a lie. And, and I believe it's, it's, it's a lie that's built on anxiety. It's built on fear and, and God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so, okay, well, if God hadn't given us a spirit of fear, who's given the spirit of fear, where's fear coming from, but, but it's that spirit of fear that keeps us trapped in a mental model that doesn't let us escape and, and, and here's the deal, and I'm not saying that if you get out of that little box, you, you won't come back and get in the box and say, no, I believe exactly, I've done, I've done all this study, and that's okay. What I believe is that God, it, that our journey with God is a journey, and that God wants us to, he, he wants to take us to places that we're unwilling to go, or that we're afraid to go. And so, yeah. How in the world did I get off on all this today? I'm gonna blame it on y'all. y'all did it.
4: Ken you reminded me of something that i I remembered um, hearing from Richard Rohr that he said, okay, you you Protestants, you're all about the word solo scriptura, you know, And mm-hmm, he said, mm-hmm. Catholics, we're all about tradition. And he said, even um, he said, even you Protestants, when you come to scripture, you have, um your traditions by which you interpret it i think he would now call that a mental model but he said if you think of it as a triad what really leads the transformation is putting those two things together with experience Mm -hmm. yeah and we know in faith walking that's what really transforms people so
3: yeah Mm -hmm. you know another thing
4: that's helped me too about the difference between prophecy is um Different Enneagram numbers have a different stance to time. Three, there's three Enneagram numbers that are focused on the past. There's three that are focused on the present and there's three that are intrigued by the future. And if you aren't intrigued by the future, then prophecy probably won't resonate with you mm-hmm. as much as it does with somebody else. So,
3: yeah. So what's the takeaway?
1: I want three of you at least to, to unmute and tell me what, what, what the takeaway is. What's the takeaway? And, and so here's the deal. There's, there's no right answer. What's your takeaway? Would somebody be willing to t- tell me? Jerry?
2: I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is just remaining humble in all of this and realizing mm-hmm. that My mind is so limited in its understanding and just um, continuing to be curious. I think curious is Mm -hmm. critical Mm -hmm. and discerning. Yeah. Yeah. And, And humble.
3: Good. Yeah.
1: Beautiful, Jerry. Thank you.
4: And for me, yeah. And for me, um, the first word that I think of is trust. And, mm-hmm. and then listening to Jesus. Those are, I mean, those are the two things. Because if I get, if my mind gets diverted elsewhere, I really don't feel that I can, to use a whole phrase, hang my hat on it, you know? I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
4: yeah. So trust and listening.
1: Good. Thank you, Diane. Trish?
0: Trish for, me, yeah. for me, when it, it it comes to focusing, is what I'm listening, if I'm, what I'm hearing is my attention, and you, you mentioned it and what you were just talking, is it stir up fear in me or does, is it love? And we know from scripture that perfect love casts out all fear and that God is perfect love. So if it's fear-based, then that's there's something off there and Mm -hmm. i don't have to have it all figured out (laughs) i was thinking Mm -hmm. earlier you were talking that when we come to scripture how we understand god as all neatly wrapped up and put into a box there's no room for growth there and at all and i think we probably all agree as you said my beliefs now at this point in my journey are way way different and thank god (laughs) truly um but for me exactly. it comes from, but for me it comes down to is this love-based or is this fear-based
1: yeah good Trish yeah yeah in my own journey one of the ways I describe myself Trish is I like myself a whole lot better now than I did back then same <laughs> Okay, I'm not a legalist, so I, I said three, but I really want four. So how about somebody else? What's the takeaway? Dawn. Um,
6: yeah, I could just say I appreciate all that's been said and um, and I think you know the bottom line is just is my is what I'm doing and saying out of love. That's, yeah. that's the end game. Um, yeah. at the same time, I have to say. It also terrifies me a little bit because I think, well, uh, if I want to go proclaim something or share something, um, that I think is right. Um, am I going to still think it's right tomorrow and is it really right? So, um, all of that just is a little, yeah, it's scary to, uh, to think about all that and not know, um, you know, what I believe is, is what I believe today. Am I going to still believe it tomorrow? Is it really the right mm-hmm. thing to share? Is uh, how is mm-hmm. my perspective, um, my mental model? Uh, how is that shadowing what I believe and and what kind of response will I, um, or what what will I, what I share um, mean to somebody else based on what their mental models happen to be? So, mm-hmm. um, trying to think through all of that and make mm-hmm. the end answer love is that's really hard
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it is it is i i so get it and um and so so once again our faith walking tools apply so so i manage the anxiety that gets stirred up and i show up as the best version of myself today as a person of love to the best of my ability today. Um, and, 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 and to me, group, in, in, and, in and under all of this is a, deep, is a deep trust that God has me and that God's guiding me and God's in charge and I don't have to be afraid. God will ta- clean up my messes even when I make messes because guess what? I'm going to make messes I'm going to say things wrong. I, I I do all the time, and okay. But but if I'm if I'm really, you know, if if the scale is love, and I'm balancing everything on the scale of love, then okay. Then then God God'll work it out. Uh, w- one other thing that I was I was thinking um, as I was asking y'all about takeaways is, so I I, I want to come back to. I'm not advocating that we shouldn't study and be curious. We should. I love study. I love, y'all know, I'm a a word geek. I love word studies. But here's what I could say. I could get so consumed with word studies that I don't do anything and I don't love well. And all of my word studies, I I could translate every word perfectly from Scripture and not be loving, and I'd be out of alignment with the way of Jesus. That's what I believe.
6: Yes, if you're familiar with the hymn, um, although I speak with angel's tongue, it's exactly what you're talking about. If I don't have love, it means nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And of course yeah.
6: that's reference to yeah.
1: Yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, mm-hmm, good.
3: I think um,
2: all of this, certainly the takeaways that I also have, um, two things. One is that I really appreciate, Can you always say, I believe. Um, rather than I think, or we believe, or it is, it's, it's, it's you and, and you're offering that as what you believe, but you're not saying, Hey guys, you have to believe the same way or you're wrong. Um, uh-huh. And I appreciate that. Last week I was exposed to COVID. And so I um, went from one of the other house directors here and I went to have a COVID test on Friday before I went to to work at the food pantry in town. And my test was negative. I thought, well, that's reassuring, um, except that it reminds me that it's negative right at that moment. It doesn't mean it's negative two hours later or even okay. yesterday or the next day or today for that matter. Um, and and this, the understanding that we have this moment um, has been really helpful for me during COVID and during um, some of the other things that I've been grappling with in my life. We, we're not promised whatever is coming next. Um, we have right now, um, and we have the opportunity to, to do the best we can with this moment we have. Um, and so I, I, when I look at, at biblical prophecy, when I look at the Bible, I think, you know, first of all, yes, the mental models we come with, but also if we're taking everything, there are there are scripture passes, passages that seem to contradict one another. So how do we know you know, how do we want to hang our hat on something that is absolute when another passage might call that into question a little bit? Um, and so again, it's it's back to trust. It's that I've got right now, um, and it doesn't mean I don't have dreams or hopes, wishes for the future, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to get hung up on that um, as I go forward. So yeah. This is, this is also helpful, um, coming Good. back to just looking at everything with, with faith, with trust, and with love.
1: Mm-hmm. And as we talked about last week, Judith, uh, dwelling in the teachings of Jesus himself. What did Jesus say? Uh, I, I keep, you know, okay, yeah, What what did Jesus say? And, and studying that and, and dwelling in that, uh, because the more my life aligns with his life, I think the more my heart will align with his heart. You You mentioned uh, and and thank you for it, uh, that I always talk about I believe. And that is my practice of self-differentiation. uh there may ne- there may not be anybody else that believes that, and that's okay but it, but it is that, that this is what I believe, take, you can take it, you can leave it, you can believe it, you can agree, you can disagree, but what you can't take away is that I believe it, because it's my belief, and, and so uh, it's, it's, I've had people push back on that, and say, I don't want to know, they they say to me, I don't want to know what you have to say, I want to know what God has to say, and I said, well, You've come to the wrong place, there. Because I don't know what God has to say. You need to go to take that up with God, right? <laughs> and 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 recognize. So so what we call that, folks, is triangling. See if if I speak for God, then uh, wait. Doesn't God want to speak to you? And and so yeah. The best I can give you is is what I think God is leading me to say. That's the best I can give you. But still, I have to own that this is what I believe, this is what I think, this is what I hear. uh, As as I humbly place myself uh, at God's disposal and say, Lord, please speak in me, this is what it is. But it's still what I think and what I believe. Uh, because what I think and what I believe is that I'm being led by the spirit, but so do many other folks. So anyway, enough of that.
2: I appreciate that. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you all. Yeah, Jan, uh, I see your question. And, And one of the questions that I wrote is, is it was it's fascinating that the jew that the that the iranian magi come to the birth of jesus but the jewish prophets didn't show up that is absolutely fascinating to me and i'm going to give you just a little teaser for next week because because my we, we get to come back at this one more time because i didn't get to my third point but here's another thing that's that's So so the Iranian magi uh, in, in the best of my study were Zoroastrians, a combination of astrologers and astronomers. So the Zoroastrians came to celebrate the birth of Christ and offer reverence to Jesus. And then they went home. So did they become Christians? Or did they remain Zoroastrians? Good to see all of you.